we've got yet another first on the show today, our very first cookbook author. Yes, this is a cookbook filled with delicious recipes and mouth-watering food photos, but this is a cookbook with a twist. It is part cookbook and part memoir of its author, renowned chef Missy Robbins. Missy actually has two books, Breakfast, Lunch, Dinner, Life, Recipes and Adventures from My Home Kitchen, and Pasta, The Spirit and Craft of Italy's Greatest Food, both of which are out now. We are going to specifically be talking about breakfast, lunch, dinner, life in this episode. And in our conversation, Missy and I talk about The Bear, which is a show I totally binged, and you should too if you haven't yet. It's on Hulu. Missy introduced me to the term kitchen culture and said that probably very much for the best, the type of kitchen culture on display in the bear would not be acceptable at her restaurants. Speaking of, Missy has two restaurants, Lilia, which opened in 2016, and Missy, which opened in 2018, both in Brooklyn. She takes us into the busy and nonstop life of a chef, gives us her best cooking tips, and gives us a peek behind the curtain of the restaurant industry, including winning a Michelin star, which Missy has done at two different restaurants, actually. She's actually only one of 10 women to have a Michelin star, which of course is incredibly imbalanced. Missy's specialty is Italian food, and both Lilia and Missy are of that food genre. Missy also introduced me through this book to the concept of being a food tourist, which is something I'm adopting immediately on my travels. In addition to being a Michelin star chef, Missy appeared on season four of Top Chef Masters and has worked at many restaurants you've heard of, including Spiaggia in Chicago, where she frequently cooked for none other than Barack and Michelle Obama. No pressure, right? She then became executive chef at Evoce, changing the menu completely with the exception of two dishes and oversaw the opening of a second location. In 2010, she was named Best New Chef by Food & Wine Magazine, and in 2018, she was named Best Chef New York City by the James Beard Foundation, as well as being named Esquire Chef of the Year that same year. In addition to all of this, she is in such a balanced, healthy place in her life, and I know you'll enjoy getting to know her through this conversation. Take a listen. Missy, it's great to have you here with me today. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. You have so much going on in your life. I can't even fathom how busy you are. So why choose to write a book, which is not a small undertaking? Well, um, that the book that I wrote, um, I've written two books now, mm -hmm. uh, breakfast, lunch, dinner, life. That's the one we're going to be talking about. Today, yeah. For the most um, was written well decided upon to write it uh while i was unemployed um and i sold that book before i opened lilia while i was taking time off and the idea for the book kind of came about while i was off and while i wasn't working and i sort of realized that i was having all these discoveries about myself and really taking time for myself to like enjoy life and see what life was like outside a restaurant and figure out if I even wanted to be in a restaurant. And at the same time, I was cooking a lot at home, which I had never done before because since I was 22, I have worked in restaurants and I always worked at night or even if I worked in the day, I was going out at night and I, I just was a young chef who had small kitchens at home and mm -hmm. just never really got into it. And when I left my job at Avoce in 2013, 
um, shortly thereafter, I went on Weight Watchers and mm. that really started fueling a lot of cooking at home too. Um, and teaching myself just a really different way to eat and just a different way to live. And it's like, not all the recipes came out of that in the book, but some of them did. Uh, and then a lot of it's just stuff either that's like a play on things I grew up on or things that I was excited about, or you notice there's a whole section on a whole chapter on uh, Asian food, which I know yeah. nothing about. And that sort of came out of a trip to Vietnam and Thailand. Uh, so it was all like that book was sort of very much of a particular moment in time. Uh -huh. And um, yeah, it was a long time ago. It was it was finished. I wrote that book. It was published in 2017. Okay. Well, so I was working on it 2015, 16, basically. Yeah. So just to clarify, we are mostly talking listeners about um, Missy's book called Breakfast, Lunch, Dinner, Life, Recipes and Adventures from My Home Kitchen. So it is a couple years old, as you said, but still so relevant with incredible recipes that just really are relatable and able we can all make them but they're also yeah. they also feel very gourmet at the same time and very yeah. michelin star chef recipes and it's it as i said it's filled with recipes and beautiful and let me tell you beautiful photographs of food whoever your food photographer was your food stylist my goodness I mean, just, you know i didn't use a stylist really that's you i Wow. That was all shot. Um, so we shot that at Lilia. Uh -huh. um, Lilia was a, an infant at the time. Uh -huh. uh, and Evan Sung uh, was the photographer who's done many, many, many books. He's amazing. Um, and we kind of did it together. I was sort of anti-stylist. Mm -hmm. uh, I think sometimes, um, sometimes it can like become unnatural. Mm -hmm. for this book like it was about my home cooking and I didn't want it to look kind of like frou-frou and staged for lack of a better word and yeah. so um yeah I had I had my chef at the time helped me with the cooking and then I I sort of with Evan styled everything well, you did a great job. I mean, and and look, when the food is good, you don't have to have a food stylist. Is is I mean, I'm no professional in this area, but it just it looks incredible. The photographs are just mouthwatering, to be honest with you. But the book is not your typical quote unquote cookbook in the fact that it has so much text that helps yeah. us learn about you and your story. And I think that you are if we're calling this a cookbook, which I'm going to, because it's, we've never had anything remotely close to that many recipes, but you're the first author of a book with so many recipes, cookbook for lack of a better term that we've had in nearly 200 episodes. So I feel like in this, wow. yeah, I know. Right. And so, and we just are going to have our first children's book author too. So, you know, we're, we're just all the first over here. And, but this is not like your typical cookbook in, in the sense that I feel like you've taken the genre and made it your own. And so what was your, when you sat down to, to pin this book, because it's so rich in yes, detail about food, but also about you. So what, what was your thought process as you were ideating for what the book was going to be like and look like? I think I was in a real state of transition in, mm -hmm. in my life. And I was, uh, I was 42 when I left Avoce. Avoce was a huge job. I had two restaurants. I had 
giant staffs, Michelin stars. Um, I worked like crazy and I, I made a great living there and I kind of had like everything that you think that you would have wanted in your career. And Mm -hmm. I wasn't very happy. Like I was, I never used the word burnout before. Um, and I didn't leave Avoce because of burnout. I just knew that internally, like a change needed to be made. And I, I didn't know exactly what that change meant. Like, I just knew that that wasn't the path for me anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I quickly, very quickly when I left, realized that it was, could be defined as burnout. And um, I was exhausted. I, I was really unhealthy physically. I was sort of unhealthy mentally, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I left and during that year, I just, I gave myself a year to, to take off. And I talk about that in the book that I sort mm-hmm. of, um, my co-author Carrie was great. She coined like one of my favorite phrases that says I gifted myself a year. And I think yeah. that um, people don't do that. I was very fortunate. I, I had saved a lot of money. Um, and I don't recommend necessarily doing what I did because I, I, I didn't have any income coming in and I depleted my bank account by the time Lilia opened. And it was very scary. Um, I don't regret doing it. I think there, there are changes I would have made in, in the way I did that financially. Um, but I, I, during that time, I, the whole point was to sort of figure out what I wanted my path to be, to get healthy, to really reevaluate um, my life and whether I wanted to cook or not cook and how that was going to look. And there was a time where I thought maybe I wouldn't cook anymore and maybe mm-hmm. I wouldn't open a restaurant. Um, and that process took a really long time. And as I was going through the process for many months, um, I, I, I think I just ended up with all these stories and like realizations that I thought I could write about. And it's funny because I don't know that I would write this kind of book again. It was very personal mm-hmm. and very uh, personal. Yeah. I'm, very raw I'm, and vulnerable. Yeah. And it's interesting because that's not my, my strength. Um, yeah. And I, I, I think I'm obviously a little bit more public now than I was then. Um, and so the stakes are a little higher. So I don't know that I would do that kind of book again. I'm happy I did because I hope that it inspires other people to kind of go out and find themselves and find what they're looking for and um, and reevaluate. Because I think we don't allow ourselves to do that. We get kind of caught in this in this whirlwind of like work push success. And that's all lovely, but if you're not happy while you're doing it, mm-hmm. then what's the point really? And so the book really came out of like these stories, these realizations. And I was like, why don't I, why don't I put it in a book and like kind of write about my year mm-hmm. in a way? Um, and the recipes were all really things that I cooked at home during, during that time. Mm-hmm. Um I was, and and I had a tiny, tiny, there's a picture of me in the kitchen, I think, 
in the book. And it's like, I had a tiny kitchen. I mean, a really, really tiny kitchen. And I'm still like sometimes amazed at what came out of it. Um, and it's sort of, that time was obviously really important. So I, I, I did end up um, figuring out that I was going to open a restaurant, but I also figured out how to do that on my terms and with parameters that would make my life better. And I ended up partnering with Sean, my upstairs neighbor. Yeah. And, um, what, how that kind of developed was just, we lived in this very small building. There were only three apartments and he was really interested in food and he was in finance at the time and he would knock on my door and he'd be like, what are you cooking? And he'd be my first taste tester. And mm. we developed this really special relationship over time. And he's um, a very curious guy. And she asked me like who I was talking to and what kind of deals they were offering me and what I was going to do. And um, after a while, he called me one day and said, please don't, don't go with anyone else. I, I'd, I'd like to be your partner. I, I really want to do this with you. Mm. And I said no for many months. Um, but then we had a lot of conversation. We just kind of realized that we were a good fit for one another and we brought different skills to the table and really it came down to sort of valuing the same things in business and family and life and what kind of company we would want to build. And, but that all really came out of, of the book and, or came out of this time. Mm -hmm. And the book was just sort of a result of me finally having like, I guess time to time to breathe mm -hmm. and time to think and um you know it was hard to write it I I started it right before Lilia and I it was due at a point when Lilia had just opened and I remember I ended up moving to Williamsburg eight months after Lilia opened and I'd gone through a pretty significant breakup also right after Lilia opened and mm -hmm. I moved to this new apartment and I still have these like visions. Um, my furniture, like my permanent furniture wasn't there yet. And I have this table. I wake up every morning at like six and just write. Um, and, you know, I'm not a writer. So you find I, it it's really good. It's really well, good. I, I had some help. So, um, you know, I had a co-writer and she was great. And I think the process for, for this book um, was really different than my second book. My, the process for this book was I, I wrote a lot of it and she would help me reform, re-edit, make it sound better. Um, but it was really important for this book that it really was my voice. And that's hard to capture when you don't know someone really well. And, and we had kind of just met, we, she wasn't someone I knew for a long time, um, but she was awesome at like reframing the, the way I wrote and um, making sure the points all, all got across. That's a really long answer to your question. No, so. I'm here for it. I'm here <laughs> for it. I, I love it. And so um, I, I don't know, actually, I'd love your take on this. I, first of all, I know nothing about the food industry. I can, I can barely boil water. I'm not, I'm not a chef. I'm the antithesis of that. I wish I was, I, or maybe not a professional chef, but better. And, and you're, I'm going to try out some of the, some more of the recipes from your book and, and give it a whirl. I'm, I'm, a work in, I'm a work in progress. We'll just say that, but I watched the bear. Have you seen the bear? Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Is that true to life? Some of it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think they did a pretty solid job. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's, I think the industry has changed a lot and kitchens are calmer. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of that behavior is no longer acceptable in kitchens, which is mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. Um, you would, you would not see that in my kitchens mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Um, that's probably, that's a good thing to see, but that's you know, I was on in the kitchen. Or I'm the definitely a better version of myself than I was 10 years ago and sure. have worked very hard at that, um, to be calmer and gentler. And, um, that's, that's how we wanted our, our businesses to be. Mm-hmm. And, um, we've achieved that. And I think, you know, no one's perfect at it. And there are times, obviously I say the wrong thing or offend a person or sure, don't get a message in the right way, but it's mm-hmm. never, it's never with like malintent. Sure. It's, it's just like, we're not, we're human and we're not perfect. And, sure. um, but I think what's been awesome about kitchen culture over the last, especially few years is that kitchens have just kitchens and restaurants, I think have just become kinder spaces and, mm-hmm. and more collaborative spaces. And um, so, yes, I think, I think the bear depicts a certain genre of what occurred in restaurants for many years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there, there are parts of it that are, that, you, you know, I could watch and really relate to from years past mm-hmm. Um and and the rawness of it is really real and what a chef goes through is really real and mm-hmm. yeah i think they did a good job well i asked the question because you know i i watched the bear actually i think before i read your book and you, and you know that you if you watch the show their burnout is one way to put it i mean it's 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 not it's not a job or a career it's a lifestyle being a chef and yeah and, and I think that that, I think the show depicts that. And so going back to, you know, you and your book, what I know you write in the book, you write chefs never have long periods of truly free time. And so what is the best part about being a professional chef and what is the most challenging? Cause from where I sit is essentially the opposite of a professional chef. It, it, again, it just looks like burnout is the, is kind of the norm because you, it's, it's such an all consuming job. The hours are insane. And so what is the best part about doing the work that you do on the flip side? What is the most challenging? Well, I think, you know, I'm, I'm very far from just being a chef now. So again, when I wrote that book, I was coming off of Oche and I was opening my first restaurant um, and there was an intensity there. But I when I partnered with Sean, I said to him very clearly, like, look, I want to do this. And again, he didn't have a restaurant background. I said, I want to do this, but I I have to do this on my terms. And I, I can't go back to working 16 hour days. I can't like be in a bad environment. Like I I need this to be different. I need to be able to take vacations and days off. And so I think like, look, the reason I fell in love with cooking, I was 22 years old when I fell in love with cooking and I I started in a restaurant. Um, I went to Georgetown and I started at a restaurant that was essentially like right off campus, Mm -hmm. um, fine dining called 1789. And what I fell in love with was uh, a few things. The energy in a kitchen is so awesome. Like you go to work 
and, and you're so busy that like, you don't have time to look at your, your watch. Like mm -hmm. you're just like, I need to know that I'm set up by five o'clock for service. And I know that I'm going to finish at 11 o'clock and you're just going. And for someone like me who, um, I'm not the same anymore, but I had a lot of energy back then. I was like pretty hyper 22 year old. Mm -hmm. Um, it was like a great way for me to like kind of control that and be in an environment with creative people and, um, and different people like in kitchens, they're just, they're just so cross-cultural and cross-aged and like you just get all these different kinds of people. And that was really intriguing to me too. I think, um, you know, as a young chef, I think the hardest part for me was this sort of lack of, of free time. Um, not in like that I worked a hundred hours a week cause I didn't in my first job, but I, I think that idea of like, you're working when everyone else is out, mm -hmm. you, I missed a lot of holidays with my family. I missed a lot of like weddings or occasions or birthday dinners. Um, and I think the, the, what has happened in, in our company and, and why we formed our company, the way we have is that we didn't want people to, to have to experience that. And while like, yes, they work long hours and it's a hard job and I can't take the heat out of the kitchen, literally mm -hmm. or figuratively, like the, the, we want people to feel comfortable saying, Hey, my, my best friend's getting married. I, I need to, I need to go to LA next weekend. Um, mm -hmm. and we work really hard to allow people that, that space to do that. And again, we're not always perfect. Like there are times where you just have to say like, Hey, like this is a really busy time. I need you this weekend, but honestly, like nine out of 10 times it, it kind of works. And we want people to feel like they can take vacation. We want people, you know, I think when you go back to this idea of time and space for yourself, I like to me, I think I wanted that space so badly. Like when I wrote that, I was talking about like, I don't, I can't, I can't go travel to Vietnam and Thailand because I can't take two weeks off in a row. Um, but now what sort of time and space means to me are more about moments in time and space and really having time during the day or during the week or during the month for, um, for like real recovery. And so for me, that's taken on some like new meaning that like, I don't, and that we try and really pass on to our teams that I wouldn't have even understood 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, when I, when I, I've been gone from a boche for 10 years. Um, Lily has now just turned eight. Mm -hmm. And I think what that means is like figuring out rituals for yourself that clear your head that, make you feel good before you go to work because you're going to have a busy day no matter what and um and that some of those rituals for me have really happened in the last couple of years um i really try in the morning to like make my cappuccino and either like write in a journal for a little bit or read for a little bit even if it's like a half hour um where the phone just gets put away mm -hmm. and I'm just like having a few moments to myself. And that time in particular has become just 
like so value valued for me. And I really encourage um, people on my team to figure out how to use those hours wisely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most of the people in my kitchen are, are working, you know, eight to 10 hour shifts. It still leaves them with a morning. Like if, if you're healthy and you are able to wake up at a, at a certain hour, um, you have a morning, like you, you can do it. Or if you finish work at four o'clock, what are you doing in those hours that you're finished before you go to sleep? And, um, we really encourage that. We really encourage like health and wellness. And that's just become such a focus for me. I I do Pilates twice a week. I love Pilates. I I go to acupuncture once a week. Um, and those are just all sort of rituals now of like, things that, that keep me stabilized. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then on like a grander scale, like vacation, and I've sort of learned, um, you know, what I need in terms of longer periods off, whether that's a week mm-hmm. uh, in 2022, I went to Italy for m- most of the month of October mm-hmm. and it was really inspiring and rejuvenating for me. And I'd never done that like, and, and obviously like I own my own business, so it's a little easier now, um, to make those decisions, but on micro levels, I, I want the people that I work with to be able to make those decisions too, for themselves. And while they may not be able to go to Italy for a month at a time, they can certainly, they certainly have vacation days. And, Mm -hmm. um, but what I think is the most important is how, how you're living day to day. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you can make those moments for yourself to, to just like give yourself some space mm-hmm. and that's, that's hard to do. Oh yeah, it, 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 it is in a lot of professions, but you know, very much so in, in the food industry. And I want to make a quick sneak in here about your second book, which is called pasta. Um, you write in breakfast, lunch, dinner, life that Italian food is your favorite type of food to make. So that month in Italy must've been truly incredible. And um, I want to shout you out and congratulate you because you have earned a Michelin star at two different restaurants. And currently, if I, if my research is correct, you're only one of 10 women to have a Michelin star. So why, why is this so unbalanced? I don't know. I don't have, the <laughs> I, love, I love your honesty there. I don't, I don't, I don't have I don't, the answers. First of all, I don't have Michelin stars at my current restaurant. So Um, that was a long time, again, 10 years ago. Um, and Michelin is an interesting, uh, organization and I don't, I know nothing about, I have no idea how one gets a Michelin star to be honest with you. Um, I, reviewers come in, they're anonymous. I I don't a hundred percent understand it either. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's not, honestly, it's not something that, um, matters to me anymore. And I think I love that's that actually, it, I love that. That's been an, an incredible, that was sort of part of this. Like when you talk about the burnout, my, my mandate when I was at Avoce was to maintain Michelin stars, mm-hmm. my bosses, they were European and, um, it's very important in Europe. And, uh, at first it's funny because at first it was something that made me want to take the job. I was like, oh, this is awesome. Like, mm-hmm. I, I want to go for this. 
And when I was in that environment, um, there's so much pressure on you. I, I had, I had financial bonuses attached to it. Um, wow. I had chef, you know, I had a chef de cuisine, my number two in, e in each restaurant. Um, it put pressure on them and it put anxiety on me. Like what if one of them gets it and one of them doesn't mm. and how bad is that person going to feel? And luckily that didn't happen. We, we got them in both restaurants for the whole time I was there, um, which is a tribute to the people who worked with me. And, um, but there was like a pressure and there was this, like, it's like a, it's like you're reaching for this thing, but like, why are you doing it? And what does it mean? And mm. it makes you sort of cook in a way, at least for me. And again, like I respect the people who do it, who want to do it, whose goal is to get three Michelin stars. There's, there's a lot of things you have to do to do that. And for me, I just felt like I wasn't um, my most authentic self and I was cooking beautiful food um, but often doing dishes and saying like to myself, is this Michelin worthy? Mm -hmm. Do I need to change the presentation? Being and when obsessed I, with it and not the work itself. Yeah, I wasn't obsessed with it, but it was always sort of there. Right. And I knew how important it was to the people who employed me and what became sort of the thing that excited me about the job also became the thing that led me to just dislike a lot of parts of it. And mm -hmm. when I left, I mean, the greatest thing about opening Lilia um, and now my two other places was we never, ever talked about like, oh, we want to get one Michelin star. We want to get three stars from the New York Times. And um, I think we, Sean and I talk about this a lot to our teams and publicly of like, we both sort of let go of these, these goals of awards and financial reward. And I think when you're able to do that and the focus is on like, what do you, what do you want to cook? What do you want to present? What do you want this restaurant to be? How do we want to impact you know, the, we now have over 200 people that work with us. How do we want to impact them and, and, and shape them so they can succeed in the, in, in this world of cooking or the hospitality or whatever they choose to do. And what happens when you do that is a, you get to be your most authentic self mm -hmm. because you're just doing what you love to do. Um, and B, honestly, the accolades came anyway. Um, mm. we got three stars at Missy and Lilia, um, from the New York times. It was awesome. And I'm so happy we did. And I was so honored and it was awesome for the teams. And I won the James Beard award for best chef, New York in 2000. Congratulations. That's Thank you. That was 2018. And like those, those things are important, but they, they weren't the driving force of what I was doing. They just were, um, the result. yeah, they were byproduct of just wanting to do something really special and doing it and sticking to sort of that ethos of just like wanting to cook and make people happy and create this environment. And, and at Lilia in particular, one of the coolest things about Lilia at the beginning and at that time for the first two years of Lilia, I was, I was there almost every night mm -hmm. and 
um, I didn't have another restaurant and I was actually like working in the kitchen. And uh, what was awesome was that every night people would come up to me and they're like, you know, we really expected the food to be good, but the design's incredible. Your staff's amazing. The music, your playlists are amazing. The lighting that stuff makes a difference, you know? And so like, to me, I had finally like hit this point where all the things I love, which is like design and creating a vibe and all this stuff and building a staff, all this stuff came together. And I knew like I'd been cooking for 20 plus years. I knew that the food, like if I didn't nail the food, like there was a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I seem to have created a space that people really loved. And that was exciting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of that kind of comes with just like not having an agenda of like, this has to be Michelin star worthy, or we have to get three stars. So we have to have this kind of wine glass and this kind of wine list and whatever. We just did what we wanted to do. And it was very freeing. Um, and we continue to do that. And we continue to have places that people seem to really love. Mm, I love that. Um, you know, the book talks about obviously your personal journey, which is inspired. I know that listeners have already picked up on that just in this episode. It obviously also talks about the restaurant industry and kitchen culture, as you put it, and uh, being what life is like as a professional chef. But at the heart of it, of course, is the food. And so I'm wondering what, and this can be from the book or not, but what is the, because not all of us can be professional chefs, not even all of us can be amateur chefs, but what is the number one cooking tip that you wish everyone knew? And I know that's a difficult question, but what is something that is just a bedrock of, of your work in the kitchen that you, that maybe, you know, a lay person like myself doesn't know? Well, I think number one, the number one thing I always try and tell people, um, cause I think people who aren't comfortable cooking often, um, want to follow a recipe so strictly Mm-hmm. And if they and if the recipe doesn't come out right and they fail, it's I I always encourage people to like go with their gut instinct and like use the recipe as a guide. But a you can put your own spin on it, or if you like something spicier, add more heat, or if you like something with more acid, add more acid. But I think like in terms of cooking, what I always like really look for is a simplicity mm-hmm. and really like highlighting a few ingredients. So if I do a mushroom dish, it's really about the mushrooms. And this is really evident at, at our second restaurant, Missy, um, which we opened uh, two, a couple of years after Lilia. And 2018, it, if my research is right. Yep. September, 2018. Mm-hmm. And um, in that restaurant, it's so hyper-focused. It's 10 vegetable dishes, 10 pasta dishes, and gelato Mm -hmm. and we have an off menu steak that we sell like five of a night that we only have we only have five a night um and with those vegetable dishes like it's always about like the vegetable so if it's cauliflower like you're eating cauliflower if it's broccoli you're eating broccoli if it's mushrooms it's like mushrooms. And what we do is like enhance those vegetables with olive oil, with acid, with whatever 
other flavors we want in there, but it's always about that thing. So I always, you know, our motto is kind of to keep it simple. And I think it really works for us. And I, I think when you start trying to be too complicated, especially if you're not an experienced cook, you end up muddling a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there's just a cleanliness to my food because it's just very focused. Mm-hmm. That's a great tip. You know, and I just think that people try to over muddy it up with just overdo it. And at the end of the day, like, just kind of like you were talking about the food styling, if it's good food, you don't have to put so much else accoutrements on it, you know, just focus. Yeah. Just focus. I'm processing this as, as I'm listening to you. That's good. That's really good advice. And I wish I could talk to you all day, but (laughs) I want to be respectful of your time. I really enjoyed this book from, from the purpose that it was probably intended, which is to give great recipes, but also learning more about you. You're a very compelling and fascinating person. So thank you for being so candid and raw and vulnerable in this book. I have not yet admittedly read pasta yet, but that needs to happen in my life. I will do that. Um, I hope you have a lot of time. It's very (laughs) I don't have a lot of time, but I'll make time for, for your, for your other book. But as we close, you know, just talking about in particular breakfast, lunch, dinner, life, when readers close that book, what do you hope they've learned? I hope they've learned about one from the food side, just a little bit about cooking and experimentation and cooking and just simplicity in cooking. And they're psyched to go cook dinner out of the book or lunch or breakfast, I think, um, from like the, the more, you know, personal side, I hope it just inspires people to kind of pause for in their lives for however much time they can, whether that's a day, a week, an hour, um, and really be able to figure out how to take care of yourself and, um, and just achieve balance in your life. Mm -hmm. And it sounds Missy, like you really have. And I have to tell you that I seriously respect because in every profession or most professions, there's some kind of accolade, like whether uh, just as an actor, an Oscar or whatever, a Grammy yeah. or whatever. And, you know, you can lose the art in the pursuit of that in the pursuit of, of recognition from your peers. And I so respect that that is not as much of a priority to you anymore because yeah, that's, that's, great. that's hard. That's really hard. And, you know, it, it's, it's, I do work that I hope people consume and enjoy, but you do work that people are literally putting into their bodies. And so that's a whole other level of intimacy. And I yeah. just really appreciate that, um, that, that perspective. I think that's so cool. And you sound like you're in a really, really healthy place. And I love that for you. And I think, you so I, think much. I think that's <laughs> fantastic. And, um, listeners, this book is great and it is called breakfast, lunch, dinner, life recipes and adventures from my home kitchen. Of course it's out now. I think it's been out, as you said, since 2017. So seven years, almost seven six years. Gosh, gosh, yeah. gosh. Well, thank you so much for the book and for being here today and just hanging out and letting me learn a little bit more about you. Thank you for being here. Thank you. It was awesome. This book is as much a journey about self-discovery as it is about food. And listeners, I know you will enjoy it. Plus, we can't ignore the recipes in here, of which there are many. 
The book again is called Breakfast, Lunch, Dinner, Life, Recipes and Adventures from My Home Kitchen. Missy also has another book, Pasta, The Spirit and Craft of Italy's Greatest Food, both of which are out now. Listeners, I've been remiss and haven't mentioned Marie Claire's Read with MC pick for February. It is a work of fiction, which still deserves mention even on this nonfiction books podcast. The title alone should compel you. Everyone who can forgive me is dead. It is the debut novel of not just a great writer, but a great person, Jenny Hollander, who also happens to be my boss at Marie Claire. And I would have said all of that about her anyway, even if she wasn't. The book is a sharp, witty, nail-biting thriller that will firmly plant you on the edge of your seat and keep you there. It follows Charlie Colbert, editor-in-chief at C Magazine, who's rebuilt her life following nightmarish events at her elite graduate school on Christmas Eve nine years prior, events known to the public as Scarlet Christmas. The press and the police call Charlie a witness, but Charlie knows she's so much more than that. In the midst of her well-crafted life, a buzzy film made by one of Charlie's former classmates threatens to shatter everything she's worked for, and Charlie is determined not to let anything, even the people she once loved most, get in her way. It is such a page-turner. I loved reading it. It is hard to imagine a novel gripping me more than this one did. It is out as of February 6th, and we will link this book along with Missy's books in the show notes. And there's some more fiction for you listeners, more fiction than you've probably gotten in a long time on this show. We've got so much more to come as season 10 rolls on from celebrity guests to discussing the Oscars that are coming up to a very special series as March approaches centered around powerful women I look up to. Thank you so much for being on this journey with me. Talk soon. Talk soon.